Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 171. We all take Royal Caribbean cruise vacations for different reasons. Perhaps it's just to get away on a weekend cruise or visit a new exotic port or checking out the new exciting features of a particular cruise ship. But I'm guessing few, if any, guests have booked Royal Caribbean cruises for the reason that this week's guest has. Joe Church has run a full marathon on 25 out of 27 Royal Caribbean ships. Yes, he has run 26.2 miles on 25 Royal Caribbean ships, and this week, we get to hear Joe's story firsthand on why he's doing this, his tips for anyone looking to run on board a ship, and when he'll get closer to getting in those last two ships. Not only is this an interesting look at how people cruise, but it's an inspirational story in Joe's journey in and of itself. Here we go. I try to cover as much of the Royal Caribbean cruise experience as I can on this podcast with looks at how everyone cruises and share those stories here. We all choose to take a Royal Caribbean cruise for different reasons, but this week's episode is a little different because the guest I have on board is, gone, is going on Royal Caribbean cruises for a reason you might not have heard about yet. Joe Church seems like your typical Royal Caribbean cruiser, in fact, but if you can believe it, he has done an unofficial marathon race on 25 out of 27 ships in Royal Caribbean's fleet, and I had to talk to him about this impressive accomplishment. Joe, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to have you here, and i got to be honest, I heard your story, and my first question was, why? No, I meant, you know, <laughs> what? how did you get started doing this? Was this a conscious effort that you wanted to run on every single Royal Caribbean ship, or this was just like you decided to do it one time and it kind of grew organically from there? Well, uh, what happened originally was I was not a cruiser, but my wife had gone on a few cruises. My late wife had gone on a few cruises, and uh, she kept on trying to talk me into going on a cruise. I had, uh, prior to that time, had had a, an issue with some uh, weight issues, and I made an effort to lose the weight, and I had done most of it by running. And so I uh, had developed a pretty good track record of long-distance running. And when she said, you know, go on a cruise, I kept on hearing, yeah, you go on a cruise, you put on 5, 10 pounds. And I said, no, I don't think I want to do a cruise. But finally she convinced me that it wouldn't be a bad idea to do a cruise if I went out and ran uh, on, on board the ship. She told me that the ships had the running track. So I agreed to on my first cruise, and I said, what I'll do is I'm going to run a marathon the first night on board the ship. I'm just going to get up in the middle of the night, go out and run on the track, put in 26.2 miles, and then I don't care what I do the rest of the week. I can eat whatever I want. I won't feel guilty about it. Sure. And she thought that was a good idea, so we did that. And um, that was on uh, Liberty of the Seas back in 2008. And uh, after that... We had an opportunity to go on a couple more cruises, and each time I did it, I thought, well, I'm going to run a marathon as well on, on those. Uh, then I heard that the uh, Monarch and possibly the Majesty would be sold or not uh, moved to the subsidiary line. And um, I, I decided, well, if I'm going to get a run on all of the ships, I better run on the, Maj uh, on the Monarch and the Majesty. So I did those, and that became, that's when it became... Okay, now that you've done, I guess by that time I'd done like six or seven, it's like, okay, let's do everyone in the fleet. And uh, that became a project for me. 
Wow. I mean, it's incredible on a number of different levels. First of all, as you mentioned, a marathon is 26.2 miles, and running that on land is one thing, but you're running in a track, which is not that large. It's not like it's a high school track that, you know, is like a quarter mile distance. I mean, how many laps is that on on the ship? Well, on each ship, it depends. Uh, For example, the worst case scenario, as far as the number of laps, was on the Voyager. I had to run 210 laps in order to get the 26.2 in. Uh, on the Oasis class, though, with the they have the running track down on the fifth deck, and uh, there it's a the, almost the full length of the ship. So it really only takes uh, about 63 laps to uh, on that ship. Um, and the advantage of, of a long ship like that is that you're not making so many turns. It's the turns that are so difficult. Uh, your your feet get sore from them. Interesting. I didn't. I didn't. I had not considered that. I was also curious about what about other things like guests getting in the way. Uh, is that is that an issue? Wind. Those are the things that I was thinking off off the top of my head that would be certainly make it more cumbersome <laughs> than if you were running on land. Uh, yes, it it can. What I generally do in most cases is I get up and I run in the middle of the night. I start about one or two in the morning mm-hmm. and I normally run for about four. It normally takes me about four and a half hours roughly to do the job. So I'm done about six to six thirty, maybe seven o'clock in the morning. And up until that point, you don't have too many other people out on deck. You have some people come out to watch the sunrise and you'll have a few walkers come out, maybe a few other runners, but the deck's not crowded with, you know, people uh, sunbathing at that point. So I can normally get them in pretty well uh, if I do that. There have been a couple of cases where that wasn't the situation. I had to run during the day, and it, it can be very difficult if you have people, you know, milling around and, and uh, enjoying the, the sunbathing and that sort of thing. So I try to do it at the odd hours and get it out of the way that. Makes sense. I think actually that's pretty smart, actually, to go in the middle of the night because, like you said, odds are there's not going to be a mo- many people around. How do you deal with wind? Uh, that's an interesting question because a lot of times if you have a following wind, it doesn't bother you at all because you're moving at roughly the same speed as the wind is moving the same direction, the same speed as the ship. So you really don't feel anything. But there have been times when I was out there when the ship was going to 20 knots and the wind was uh, 35 knots. So you're looking at, you know, 50, 55, 60 knot winds and what happens is you're running into the wind. You you almost have to lean way into it. You get to the bow of the ship, and all of a sudden it just it, it, you turn the corner and it catches you and it just <laughs> blows you down the the other way. So you struggle up the one way and you fly down the other. Um, <laughs> in fact, sometimes it's it's so strong that it almost knocks your feet out from under you. How do you manage with with dealing with obviously keeping yourself hydrated and and whatnot? Because on a typical marathon race, there'll be water stations. There will be obviously uh, uh, staff members there to assist. Does any of that bother you, or have you run into any issues with that, or, or are you pretty well versed in in running and be, and knowing essentially yourself? Well, I know myself pretty well since I've been running. Well, this is I've run seventy actual official marathons. Uh, so I have a fair bit of experience with the long distance running and I know what my body requires, but most of the ships have a water fountain, um, at some point on the upper deck. So you just learn to run a certain number of laps, make sure you stop and get a drink and then continue running. What is your, I also, Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I I was also, uh, say that I also, 
stop in the Windjammer the night before and grab a couple of bananas and a couple of the uh, Coconut Ranger cookies and take those up with me. <laughs> Does that constitute your carb loading, or do you actually have a f- more formal carb loading uh, strategy? Well, I, I carb load prior to that. That's what I use during the run itself. I'll, I'll stop and eat a half a banana and, or a half a cookie and then keep on running. Ah, got what? What is your so? What is your preferred carb loading strategy? Is there a particular restaurant or food that you eat before a, a race, a marathon on a, on a Royal Caribbean ship? Uh, generally, what I look for is um, some kind of uh, noodles, whether it's spaghetti or uh, you know the if the Asian noodles or whatever uh, works pretty well for me. Wow, cool. So I think I know the answer to this one based on what you said earlier, but is there a particular ship or class of ships that you really enjoy running on more than another class of ships? Ah, that's a good question because I've been on every class at this point. Uh, From a running standpoint, the the Oasis class is the best because it has that track down on the fifth floor. You You don't have other people coming down there generally other than walkers and runners. Uh, so you don't have people getting in your way. Uh, you can do it at any time of the day that you want to run it. Uh, so there's, there is that advantage. The, the disadvantage on the Oasis class from a running standpoint, though, is you're running uh, on the fifth deck. You have all the lifeboats. So you don't get much of a view while you're running. Uh, mm. But it really is a, a much better track. Interesting. So, yeah, the- uh, but from, from that standpoint, I would say the Oasis class. As far as actually just going out and cruising, I sort of like the Freedom class. Uh, as, but I've also enjoyed the Harmony just the other last week or a couple of weeks ago. So can't wow. say I really have a favorite one. <laughs> is there is there anything different about running a race on on a Royal Caribbean ship that you need to account for than you would if you were running on land? Uh, primarily the the thing that I have to account for in the ship is that when you're running such tight loops on the on the track on the ship, the outside of your feet begin to hurt. And if you're not careful, uh, they can get really sore and get uh, and be sore for a few days where you don't have those kinds of tight corners uh, when you're running on land. Even if you're running on a track, the track is bigger. The, the curves are bigger, so you don't have that kind of pressure on the side of your feet. Uh, so what I end up doing when I'm running is I run maybe two miles one direction and then I reverse the direction on the track and run a couple miles the other way and then back and forth until I have the job done. Wow. Uh, this is, I mean, it's incredible, quite honestly, because the the amount, I, for, for me, first of all, I hate running. But that being said, <laughs> the, the, re, the big reason I hate running is the monotony of it, right? Mentally, it, it really bothers me. Um, I just, I start thinking about, dumb things i can't i can't get myself mentally into it among other things but you know eating is so much fun that being said um you know when you're talking about running you know 60 plus laps on an oasis class ship and and many more on the smaller ships how do you deal with that i mean are you just somebody who can do you just zone out do you you listen to music i mean what's your strategy for dealing with that i'm just curious well, for the most part, I do listen to music. I, I'll have earphones on uh, when I run on the ships, but I do zone out. Uh, I've run, actually I've run a hundred miles on a track, three hundred and sixty-five laps on a quarter-mile track, um, and uh, you know, I, and I did that in twenty less than twenty-four hours. 
So I'm capable of just completely zoning out and not even being aware of what's around me. Um, and that helps. <laughs> but um, <laughs> at times I'll be paying attention to some of the other things going on. Like if, if there's anything on the big screen on up on the deck that I, you know, I'll watch that as I go around. Uh, but it's mostly a mental thing of, of just sort of letting your mind wander to wherever it wants to go and zone out. That makes sense. I think it's a fairly uh, good strategy there. Uh, my other question is, does Royal Caribbean know that you're doing any of this? Like, I mean, not that they would be have a problem with it, but I've had, had some, I'm not sure anyone has run. I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I've never heard of anybody running a marathon on almost all of the ships in the fleet. Uh, Royal Caribbean is not officially aware that I'm doing it. There are people on board some of the ships, like, I go out so early in the morning that I see the crews uh, out cleaning the decks. Uh, occasionally, I will have some of the security officers come up and talk to me about, gee, what are you doing out here in the middle of the night? Uh, I've also, uh, at one time, they had the um, Make-A-Wish walk around the deck, yep. and one of the people on on the walk happened to notice that I had been out running quite a bit, and said something in front of the officers that were present on the walk about, gee, this guy's out running all the time. And I said, yeah, I ran a marathon. So some of them are aware, but no, nobody is officially you know, aware that I'm doing this. So what, let me got to ask, what ships do you have left to do? Uh, the two that I have left to do are the Oasis. And I'm doing that on the week and or the Sunday that, right after Thanksgiving. And then the last one that I have is the Rhapsody. And that one I'm doing on December 10th. Uh, so I I will have finished all of them before my 65th birthday, which is in February. That is an incredible achievement. And I guess that leaves me with this obvious question. What happens after that? What are you going to do after you're all done? <laughs> well, I have two things in mind. One is I've been running marathons in other parts of the world. I've been going to different countries and running them lately, and I'll just do probably a little more of that. But I'm also in, in sort of thinking that as new ships are uh, launched in the rural Caribbean line, I will continue to, I'll still get on those and, and run a, a marathon on those just to keep the the uh, streak going, so to speak. But, but primarily, I just decided that I would run the, you know, the 27 that had been on the water or are on the water now when I started this, uh, and I wanted to get them done by my 65th birthday. Nice. This is incredible. Uh, you mentioned, and I guess the last thing I want to ask you, you mentioned this already a little bit about the turns, right, and, and watching the inside of your feet and, you know, for, for guarding against, you know, uh, the pain there. Are there any other tips you can provide to somebody who, you know, would want to go running on a cruise ship? It doesn't have to necessarily be a marathon, but I know a lot of people do enjoy using that as a great way to exercise and stay fit and, you know, like you said, keep off some of that weight from on board the ship. So are there any observations or, or tips for somebody who's going to go, who's going to be doing a run on board, on board a, a Royal Caribbean ship sometime? I think the recommendations that I would make to somebody who's not run on the ship before uh, but wants to run is that the first thing they do is check the wind direction and whether they want to uh, do a run if the wind is, is uh, difficult. I did a, uh, one that was the winds were very strong, and at, at points I actually thought to myself, this is close to being dangerous. 
it wasn't, but I, I felt that it could have been. Uh, mm-hmm. So I would suggest that they first check the winds, and as long as the winds are not something that are going to uh, be a problem for them, uh, that would be the first thing. The second thing I would recommend that they do, and this this could be problematic on the ship because during the day, once there are a lot of people walking around, there's a tendency for everybody to walk in one direction. In fact, most ships have arrows on the track saying, you know, walk this direction. Um, so if you're going to go very long, you really need to reverse direction or you, or you will start to damage your feet. Uh, so you, you're better off if you can do it when you can reverse directions, uh, at will. And, uh, so that means basically trying to run when, uh, one of two, two times works. And one is very early in the morning. The other option is if you stay on board when everybody else is out, uh, at a port, uh, if they get off the ship, you know, to go sightseeing and you stay on board, then then you can quite often run without too much, uh, too many people getting in the way. I love it. Now, Those Joe, before I let things. you, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Before I let you go, uh, I want to get to know, I like to do this with every guest, get to know them a little bit better. So I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions about how you like to cruise on Royal Caribbean. So just give me like the first thing that comes to your mind when I, uh, when I ask you these questions. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, you mentioned that you like the Freedom Class the best uh, of uh, in, in the grand scheme of you know your cruising experience. So, uh, what what would, be, what would be your best tip for someone going on a Freedom Class? Not necessarily running. It can be running if you'd like it to be. But about anything. I think uh, with the Freedom Class, it, it was the combination of having the uh, uh, the indoor shopping. With I can't think of the Royal Promenade. The word I'm looking for. Yeah, the Royal Promenade. I think that's a nice size. Has a nice uh, arrangement of, of shops, uh, some nice uh, bars to hang out in for a little while. Um, and it's it's not super huge, so you don't get lost. But it's big enough that you can that there's a lot on on there to to check out and do. How about your favorite restaurant on a Royal Caribbean ship? Ah, uh, boy. That's tough. I normally what happens is after running, I like to go to the Johnny Rockets uh, and have a hamburger and a shake because my nice. body's calling for protein. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite uh, burger at Johnny Rockets on the menu? Oh, geez, uh, I I don't really know offhand, but cheeseburger of some sort. Cheeseburger. Okay, fair enough. Uh, favorite drink or preferred drink while on a Royal Caribbean cruise. I generally go for beer. Beer. What's what's your what is your favorite uh, kind of beer? Well, uh, on this last one, I had a Strongbow, which I really enjoyed. Nice. Favorite port of call to visit. Favorite port of call. Uh, Barcelona. Ooh, I like that. That's a nice one. And lastly, your favorite song on the radio or your iPod today. <laughs> I can't even say that I have one. Uh, <laughs> what do you What do you uh, run to? Give me Give me a song on your on your running list. Jeez. Well, I I tend to run to uh, a, a lot of like heavy metal from the nineteen uh, seventies, like Led Zeppelin and, and Metallica and people like that, because of the, of the beat and the and the strength of the of the music. 
uh, it, it works well for running, but picking out one particular song is uh, not something I even think about. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Joe, thank you so much for sharing your story. This is really incredible to hear that someone has done this, and I'm so glad we were able to have you here on the Royal Green Blog Podcast to talk about it. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. How about we read some of your listener emails? Love doing that. We invite every single one of you to send me your emails, in fact, uh, by sending it to matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first is from Heather Alexander, who writes, Hi, Matt. First, I want to thank you for being a huge travel fanatic like me. Your blog is just what I needed. I consider it my daily fix for what ails me. On blogs or cruise critic, you can find me as Teacher Fireman. I have been listening now for to you for a few years, and I have even gathered some uh, photographs from Allure for you. I would absolutely love to be on the blog podcast sometime to either chat about any topic or do a cruise preview as well. My cruise addiction started in 1989 on Song of America. It was a graduation gift for my parents from the 8th grade. Sadly, the cruising addiction did not kick in uh, until later on when I went on my other cruises in February 2013 on Freedom, 2014 on Allure, 2015 on Liberty, 2016 back on Allure, and 2017 on Freedom with the husband and kids. Now, here's my chatter. Feel free to talk about this on the podcast. I love everything about the Allure, especially the Aqua Theater. It's such a special part of the ship, the location, the boardwalk, and the crown and anchor from the Sovereign of the Seas is just so special. I love having breakfast at the Johnny Rockets out there on the Sunday morning. I'm an early riser and love to work out, which I know you are not, so I would be happy to chat about the differences and pros and cons about the workout locations, jogging tracks, etc. I also want to say that my next favorite part of the ship is the Solarium. What a fantastic venue for breakfast, watching the water pass, reading a book, or just laying out and drinking my favorite beverage, which, by the way, is beer. We've always gotten the select package. This 2017 trip, we will not be getting the new drink package because it doesn't fit our beer-only occasional glass of wine desires. And I'm the kind of sailor that will feel guilty as anything if I don't max out my dollar and I really like to remember my cruise. The next best part and truly favorite part ever on Allure of the Seas is Central Park. Grab a drink at Charles Bar on your walk back to the room, which we always say on the 8th floor, more on that later, to get ready for dinner. Walk through the peaceful atmosphere to go to dinner. On formal night, is my preferred location for formal pictures. And after dinner, get a drink at the Charles Bar and sit listening to the musicians under the gorgeous colored lights. It's peaceful, relaxing, and a marvel you can't believe. And yes, you are in the park in the middle of an ocean. Superb. Don't uh, Please don't forget that this is also another loading point for the Rising Tides Bar. My final favorite spot on Allure of the Seas is the sports deck. The two flow riders with a sports bar in between is my absolute favorite. You can have a drink, watch the surfers wipe out, look over the stern of the ship, and watch the blue and white waters glide into the distance. I'm not even sure how to describe the blue of the Caribbean waters, and no picture seems to do it justice. Just gorgeous. Wow. Heather, thank you so much for the email. Love hearing from that. And I agree with you on everything you said there about Allure. This is a fabulous ship. And there's so many great areas on board. I think that we all kind of gravitate towards certain areas, right? If you go on Allure of the Seas, perhaps you are drawn to the Central Park area. Or maybe you're going to go on Freedom of the Seas. And you're going to find that really hanging out in the promenade, maybe at the at the pub in the promenade is really your, your place. Or you're going on you know, Radiance of the Seas. And it really is the main pool deck that does it for you. There's a lot of places on board that, you know, we all kind of gravitate towards, right? It becomes our little area of the ship. And certainly when you talk about it back with family and friends about the cruise, remember we went on, you know, whatever of the seas, and inevitably someone brings up that spot, or like, oh yeah, we always hanging out at the R-Bar, or we're always hanging out in the solarium, or I can't believe 
how much time we spent in the casino, <laughs> wherever that place is, schooner bar, you know, it seems like we always kind of go towards those places. So hearing your email, Heather, definitely reinforced that in my mind, hearing about your experiences and just saying, yeah, you know what? I was nodding my head when I was reading it because these are all the kind of places and Central Park is one I absolutely adore and love. It's such a great place to go to. So hearing your feedback is is terrific, and I think a lot of people are probably agreeing with you, Heather. So thank you very much for the email. Next, we have an email from Tracy in Miami. Greetings, Matt. Love your media empire. Keep up the good work. <laughs> I'm not sure to describe it that way, but thank you. The wife and I are doing back-to-back on Oasis of the Seas in a junior street from Port Canaveral in September to celebrate our 20th anniversary. I've heard previously from you how the consecutive cruiser thing works with the Royal Caribbean. What about parking? We live in Miami, so we're driving up the night before. The longest parking listed on the Port Canaveral website is nine days. Would I need to pay for another week while we transition from one to the next, or does the port offer longer parking rates? Great question, Tracy. I actually don't know the exact answer to this, but I'm pretty sure this is how it works. And this is true of almost any parking lot, right? They're not going to like tow your car or get rid of it. They're just going to charge you the extra days. They advertise nine because that's reasonably when most people are going to park for. But if you're there for back-to-back or even longer cruises, certainly they're just going to extend that that daily rate to you. So I don't think you're having any issue there with, with parking. But it's a, it's a fair question, Tracy. And don't forget also, I should probably mention, there are other parking options that are off-site that can be cheaper. In fact, I think almost all of them are cheaper. It, it depends on what you're looking for. And certainly if you're going there for two weeks or longer, perhaps that is going to be a little more attractive than someone going there for just seven days, but it might be something to look into because then you can save some money while you're while you're doing all that. Our next email comes to us from Steve. He writes, good afternoon, Matt. My wife and I recently started following your blog and Periscopes. We're now empty nesters and are able to cruise more than we have been able to before, and uh, now that we don't have to follow a school schedule, of course. My wife is somewhat susceptible to motion sickness, but we've been okay so far, mainly cruising larger ships and sailing in the summer months of May and June. We want to expand those months that we cruise, that we can cruise more often, and we're going on Oasis of the Seas in October 29th. Are there months that we would want to avoid due to rough seas? How much of a difference does it make to cruise on Oasis class or Quantum class? Thanks for your advice. Just so you know who we are, we're on Periscope. We are a Florida home builder, and my wife, Denise, is DM Nicey. Wow, I recognize both of you guys. That's awesome. Now I get to put a name to the fake name. I love it. Guys, thank you so much for the email. It's a great question, actually, because a lot of people are worried about this, and I will tell you that... Motion sickness is something a lot of people, especially first-time cruisers, are really concerned about. I mean, no one wants to get seasick, ever, regardless of what you're doing, whether you're on a, a fishing trip with your buddies or you're going on a cruise ship. It's just, no one wants to be nauseous, right? It's understandable. I, I totally get where people are coming from. I think, quite honestly, and, and no offense here to you, Steve, or your wife, it's a vastly overblown issue. It, I, what I mean by that is people, I think, worry about it far too much. If I were to list the things, the priorities, the things you should worry about on a cruise... Motion sickness is really down at the bottom. Certainly going on the larger ships, you're you're on the right track there. The larger the ship, the harder it is for the ocean to move that ship. And they're built with st- uh, stabilizers and, and a whole lot of uh, options to really make sure that the cruise is comfortable. Not only that, the, the captain and the crew are actively working all the time to ensure they're going in the best possible path. Not just to get them from point A to point B, but to ensure that it's it's enjoyable for you. This is a cruise. This is not a military vessel. They don't have to get from point A to point B in a certain amount of time or there's a problem, right? <laughs> this is a vacation. So if it takes them, you know, another five or ten minutes, they'll make it up somewhere. But the point is, is that it's not nearly as bad as I think you it can be. Now, can it happen? Absolutely. It happens. It's something that can happen, but I just don't think it's a big deal. So you're going in October, and your question really is, you know, well, are there months you would want to avoid due to rough seas? I don't think so. I think it's too hard to predict, quite honestly. I mean, you look at hurricane season goes from the uh, beginning of from June all the way through the end of November, right? That's a long swath of time. 
And there are plenty of people, including yourself, you just mentioned you cruise in June before, and that's fine. Certainly, hurricanes are the most likely cause of higher wave storms in general, low pressure systems moving through. Uh, I'm not quite the um, meteorologist, <laughs> but I but I certainly know enough that, you know, obviously storms are what, you know, wind ca- causes the seas to get a little rougher and wind usually associated with storms, and, and there you go. So that being said, I think that there's no way to predict it. You just can't. You you could cruise in June. You can cruise in July. You can cruise in January. You can cruise in May. I mean, you're going to get all... There's no guarantee with anything with the weather, right? So I just don't use it in to avoiding. Do I think there's months you can avoid? I mean, certainly the height of hurricane season is the end of August through October. The end of October. That's the prime of hurricane season with the real, really peak. The top, top, top part being, you know, mid-September to mid-October. That's really the the... the the, the most likely times you're going to get storms. And again, you can get storms any time of the year. It's not like the hurricane season goes up. Oh, it's after November 30th. Well, that's it, guys. Dissipate because we can't do anything. It can happen anytime. I, I've experienced rough weather on, uh, I remember on brilliance of the season one day. It was random. It was just like one day. There was some highways. It wasn't a lot of motion. It was just a little bit, right? It can't happen. So what I would tell you is, are there months that you want to avoid? No. I think you can cruise whenever you want to. I wouldn't worry too much about it, especially in the Caribbean. It's usually pretty good. The areas where you're going to have some issues, certainly transatlantics have a, a, a reputation of that, especially ones that are in the winter months. It, it can happen. It's kind of interesting with Harmony of the Seas coming back from Europe. We just saw that there really wasn't that much of a, a difference. Also, the captain on board Harmony did know that they actually took a more southerly route rather than going north through the North Atlantic, because that's typically where you see the most. So, uh, you know, certain itineraries might be, but I think if you're talking about cruises out of the United States, it, it's going to be pretty okay. And my, my other advice to you, if you are really worried about it, that's okay, too. My parents do this every single time. They refuse to even take the risk. They go to their doctor, and they get a the patch. The patch is a prescription based application of anti-nausea medicine. You put it on your ear. It's a set it and forget it thing. It lasts for like a week and it allows you to not get seasick. It's as simple as that. There's over-the-counter medication. There's uh, natural, you know, remedies like, you know, eating green apples and ginger. Those are things that can certainly help. I, you know, I wouldn't, it wouldn't stop me. Let's put it that way. Now, the other question was how much of a difference does it make to cruise on Oasis class or Quantum class? In terms of motion, I mean, very little. They're both very similar in size. I mean, obviously Oasis is a little bit bigger. But they're both in that ballpark of the same range of just mega ship, right? I mean, they're they're large uh, ships, so it, it, they're both really interesting and fun to cruise. And there's certainly a lot of differences between them in terms of what's available on board. But if you're talking about purely about motion, fairly negligible, if you ask me. I mean, I think it has more to do with the weather outside than anything else. And even then, I, like I said, the, the Royal Caribbean is going to avoid the storms wherever possible. They are going to ensure that it's going to be as smooth as possible. And they've got the means on board to ensure that it's going to, you know, reach that point, right? Stabilizers, and they can adjust their speed. They can adjust their heading. There's certain ways they can get around it. I remember there was one storm. I forget which one it was. Somewhat, I think it was during this year. Uh, the ship just hugged the coast because it's going to be less waves by the coast, and it was fine. So, um I think you'll be all right, and and guys, I hope you enjoy more cruising now that you're empty nesters, and thank you so much for hanging out with us on Periscope, and, and thanks for mentioning Periscope, because we do this, if, if you're listening to this, you're like, Matt, what, what are you talking about? What is Periscope? Is that a thing on a submarine? It is a thing on a submarine, but it's also a free application for smartphones and tablets, basically any Android or 
iOS device that's out there. You can install it, and basically every day I do a broadcast similar, somewhat similar to these podcasts, all about taking Royal Caribbean cruises every single day. It's free. It's just fun to do, and if you want to follow along, I would love for you to do it. Just download the app. It's called Periscope. Install it, and then follow me on Periscope. My username is the RCL blog. The RCL blog. I got a link to it. My profile on our show notes for this episode at royalcaribbeanblog.com. And of course, you can chat with Steve and Denise there. So, guys, thank you so much for the email. And we got time for one more email. One more email here. And it's going to be coming to us from... Who is it? Oh, there's a name. Sorry. Sometimes I have to scan the emails for names. Bob from Fulton, New York. I finally booked a cruise on a large ship, but I have some questions about how Anthem of the Sea's dining program works or will work in February 2017 when I sail. Right now, I'm told that early seating and my time dining are sold out, which disappoints me because I'm used to early seating. Do I need to choose which restaurants to eat in each night? Can I eat in one all week? I really don't understand how this program works with separate complimentary restaurants. I was hoping you could explain it. And which restaurants serve filet mignon or lobster? And how do I get early seating? Do I have to switch restaurants? What about a nice breakfast? What about lunch? And when can I start to pre-book activities online? Wow, Bob, great emails all around. First of all, uh, Anthem is changing, and depending on when you listen to this email, it may have already changed. Uh, they're actually, Royal Caribbean announced that they're getting rid of dynamic dining on its Quantum-class ships, including Anthem of the Sea. So there's no more of this. You have to switch restaurants and all that kind of stuff. It's a lot like any other Royal Caribbean ship out there now, Bob. You're going to have two options, traditional dining, which is you know early or late seating, and my time dining. Now, you mentioned, first of all, that they sold out or they're out of space for early seating. That's okay. There are two things you should probably do. Number one, uh, you should have your travel agent, if you booked the travel agent, put you on what's known as a wait list for early seating. Uh, even though it's sold out, they'll have a wait list out there and it usually allows to come through. I, I think all but one time my wait list has come through for any of these kind of dining options, whether it's late seating or early seating. It, um, people cancel and change all the time. The other thing is, what happens if it doesn't? Well, that happened to me one time. Got to the cruise, still was on my time dining, which I didn't want to do. So I went to, on embarkation day, go down to the main dining room, probably after lunch, you know, like 1 o'clock or something like that. There will be a head waiter on duty over there. Speak to the head waiter. Say, hey, I'd really prefer, I'm in my time or wherever you're, you're assigned, but I'd really like to be in early seating dining. What can we do? And they'll definitely help you out there. You shouldn't have any issues whatsoever. So... Again, your other questions were, you know, you're, what's going to happen is you're going to be assigned to one particular room, right? You're, they're going to, I'm not sure which room you'll be assigned to, but there's many different smaller dining rooms instead of one main dining room. But that being said, they're going to say, you're going to see on your CPAS cards, be like, okay, here's the room you're going to. Uh, it may change depending if you get changed to that early seating, but they'll let you know where you're supposed to go. You go there and that's your, that's your, that's your restaurant every night at the set time. You go there, you have the same wait staff, the same table mates, just like any other Royal Caribbean ship. I'm assuming you've been on another Royal Caribbean ship. If you haven't, then this is probably new to you. But you'll be going to the same place all the time. Now, the restaurants will have a different menu every night. And you asked about filet mignon and lobster. Lobster night is usually the second formal night of the cruise. On a seven-night cruise, you'll have two of them. Uh, So the first one being on night two. And then the other one being like night five or six. Depends on the itinerary of the ship. So... You will have lobster provided in the main dining room. There will also be a... There are different cuts of steak throughout the cruise on the, in the main dining room. If you really want a true filet mignon, you can order it at any time from Chop's Grill. There is an upcharge for that one, for filet mignon. You're going to have other cuts of steak that will be complimentary, but understand you can't order filet. It's just going to cost you extra from Chop's, but your main dining room waiter can assist you with that. You don't have to worry about switching restaurants. I mean, the only reason you'd want to is if you want to dine at one of the specialty restaurants. Like, you know, maybe you're going to Anthem of the Seas. There's tons of great restaurants. Maybe you want to eat at Izumi one night or you want to eat at Wonderland another night. No problem at all. You just book those restaurants on your own, either via Royal Caribbean's cruise planner or once you're on board the ship, you can do that as well. And then you just show up to the restaurant whatever time you, you set up for. 
And you asked that about nice breakfast being served. I mean, I love the Windjammer, Bob, for breakfast. I mean, it's just, it's got everything. And I love the, go to the back of the ship. They have, a uh, back of Windjammer, rather. They have a custom omelet station. It is the go-to place for breakfast. Just go there. Everything else is nice, but that's that's really where it's at. For lunch, again, some of the specialty restaurants are open for lunch. I love Izumi for lunch. It's great. Really, really tasty. But the Windjammer is open as well. On sea days, they will have a complimentary restaurant open, one of the main dining room. I, I, I call it the main dining room. It's not really that because there's multiple ones the way that the ship was built. But there will be options as well. Check your cruise planner. It's going to list every single day which restaurants are open for breakfast, which are open for lunch, what their hours are, as well as dinner. So that way that you can get clued in on on all that kind of stuff. The other last question was, when can I pre-book activities, shows, online? Boy, that's like the eternal question, right? Everyone wonders that. I guess what I will tell you is that it depends. Uh, There's no set time. You just have to keep checking back. But usually within the ballpark of about 75, 70, 75 days, just keep checking back to the cruise planner. And eventually... It will show up there. Bob, great email. Thank you to everybody for these wonderful emails. Love talking to Royal Caribbean with all of you. And, of course, if you want to send in your email, you can do so. Send me an email, matt at royalcaribbeanblog.com, M-A-T-T at royalcaribbeanblog.com. All right, my friends, that's going to wrap up this episode. Until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.